Welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. You just heard Blood Clot, the new track, Souls, premiered on the Hoya Rock Show, premiered on Decibel and Revolver, all the fancy stuff, but having been friends with John for quite some time now, and having had him on episode 66, and loving what Mario in upstate New York does, I figured let's put this track up there in case you haven't checked it out. This is the third iteration of the band Blood Clot. Early on, John had members of Biohazard and former members of Spud Monsters and Marauder. And they were quite heavy, pretty cool. Wrote a bunch of stuff, but never formulated into a, like a formal release. Shadow, Rain, Shadow Realm played a bunch of shows with them. They played This Is Hardcore 2007. And that was it. And then the return of Blood Clot featured some members of Queens of the Stone Age and the late, great Todd Youth, as well as some others. And then in this current formation, it is John Josephs on vocals, Tom Capone which is a crazy thing right there. Former Quicksand. Still plays in bold. Beyond. On guitar. Craig Satari. Sick of it all. NYC Mayhem. You know. Fucking legendary shit. And Darren from Maximum Penalties. Great band. On top of filling in and f- just being that dude that's just been in so many other things. Sick. Four Horsemen style lineup. Check it out, Upstate New York Records. And if you haven't listened to the John Joseph episode, that's episode 66. Uh, as I said last week, there's obviously a GoFundMe for Kev1 to help pay for bills with his family. And to my current knowledge, FYA and Keystone Jam will feature some form of Bulldoze tribute. But the band is still looking to play. Probably have some singers get up. Same way that Todd Youth played Thompson Square Park as a Warzone tribute. And um, so keep an eye out. But go to the TIHC podcast website and click the GoFundMe link for Kevin C. of Kev1. He's got family. They've got bills. And this is what the hardcore scene does, right? And... Tomorrow is, well actually I should say today because these things come out on Friday. There is some rock and roll happening in Philadelphia. And the best way to do this is go to Philly 8C shows or philly-shows.com. They both come up the same way. The Acacia Stream, Sanguesugabag, Body Boxing Love Dog at the Yuki Club. Listen. It's going to be a tight room, small room, wild, goony, level metalcore, moshy shit. Uh, Acacia Strain played both Underground Arts, and then they played The Church, playing two separate records in December. The crowds were sick. This show is going to be packed. Don't miss it. And then September 11th, at the Darby PA VFW Post. This is a Ben Stuckey show. Regrown. Big Shot, Montclair, Deal With God, Curate. 
So make sure you check this out. And um, our friends are doing a show. Our good friends in Underground Arts. Playing with some, uh, put on a show with some of our friends. Stick to your guns, Kubla Khan, Belmont, Koyo, and Ford Hands. This is an all ages show, and uh, yeah, get your tickets. And then Monday, September 12th, you can go to Creeping Death, 200 Stab Wounds, Age of Apocalypse, Similocker, Tribal Gaze. It's at the church September 12th. Bizarrely enough, of September 11th and September 12th rings in the one year anniversary of the return of shows post COVID to the church with the double hever of the two sold out knockloose shows. September eighteenth at the photo club, worn, never again, grand scheme, payload, mobile terror unit. And um finishing out September is Pay for Pain, Peroxide Blonde, MX Lonely, Ultralight, and Holy Mountain. And this is also the photo club. Again, you can check out all these shows just by going to phillyhcshows.com. We've got tons of shows. No one's getting at it. And um, since we are close to October, we're going to be having another flea market at Hard Times Tattoo. So go to Hard Times Tattoo on Instagram. And if you're a vendor, we just like to go and check it out. Last one was a blast. This one's even going to be better. Moving on to... The topic is not going to jump around too much, obviously, with the with the week of Labor Day and my thought processes. Still focused on building a collection of stories that all kind of ring together. I promised interview episodes, but we're still just trying to make sure when these all start rolling, they roll all together so it tells a story. And I'm trying to fixate on this, so... My apologies. Nothing in hardcore is easy. For some. This is some. In the age of the digital world, as we spoke about many times, it has gotten easier for majority. But nothing in hardcore is done without work. And as the title of this episode, Labor of Love, would suggest... To be industrious or to create some form of enterprise within hardcore, you have to succumb and accept that this is a labor of love. And that is not a hard rule, but it's a good way to keep yourself from getting burnout. The things that we do, we do because we love them. The financial return the you know blue check is probably what the new status quo of making it is in the world shouldn't even be in the gun sight should be aesthetically pleasing output in any form that gives you an exciting buzz that makes you want to do it again and again I don't care if you take a fucking magic marker and you draw five stupid faces and some band names and write some dates and photocopy it a hundred times. If that makes you happy, it's a labor of love. And I find, again and again, the criticism on the social media is people who probably have neck and arm cramps and elbow cramps from taking their hand and just stretching it right over that shoulder and start tapping themselves. 
for mundane things that are just common everyday features of the society and the subculture that is built upon not only a DIY ethos, but that the undertaking to create within this space is a labor of love. And I'm sure there are thousands of artifacts created out of labor of love harboring being kept somewhere by someone who's dying to resell at a value much higher than the person who created it. And that's just the breaks, you know, to think that they would walk into Raymond Pettibone's little work area and just take some shit off the floor and slap it on some SST thing is just sick. And he was just so prolific. And I, I think a lot of the early art people within hardcore, maybe they were transfixed. Maybe they're obsessed. Maybe they need to get an exorcist. But the art that so many people put out to me is just the 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 close thing I think of it is like the I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, so critique me in DMs. But the linograph, those fine line, almost like wood carving looking pictures that huge part of the late Middle Ages, early Renaissance. There's a good moments of that in a lot of early hardcore flyers and these little line drawings of figures and characters. And I couldn't think of the hours put in. And then I think of a friend who's a local artist here, became a tattooer, who showed me a method of using an ink pen and drawing hard and fast. And then you could like spit on your finger and touch it and give it a its own kind of blur like little wet ink and you know smear that blue or black ink around for like an extra dimensional layer and just the thing about the time it takes to do one thing that's going to be one flyer and the best you could hope for would be the return of the favor such as some kid 10 years from now looking at your flyer and either just being punk rock and outright stealing the art and redoing it or emulating it copying it in some degree and giving you credit for it because no one's not everybody i mean i haven't yet to do the sean taggart to the world and i would i mean the holy grail would just sit there and talk to Raymond pettibone about art and hardcore but really I don't think Raymond Pettibone was looking at art and hardcore. I think he was just creating. And there's just so much to that. It's like his own path. Uh, but ultimately all this comes down to to do what we do and to create in this space. You know, I, I, I don't villainize profit and I'm not so communistic to say that all of any kind of outcome goes right back into things. But so many things early on, first of all, you know, I can't even understand the the economics of printing records and selling them for like $2. And then 40 years later, a 7-inch come out. What's a 7-inch now? $10 before 
eight bucks in shipping. There's so much crazy shit that came out that sells for hundreds of thousands, hundreds if not thousands of times that was sold for pennies on the dollar in comparison. And then nowadays there's this stuff that just gets reprinted or just currently printed for you know almost 10 bucks for four songs. And you see it and you wonder, you know, is there still value in this, in this medium? I know the vinyl conversation, I'd love to have it, and I keep saying I'm going to have it with someone. I haven't researched the right person, but had a couple leads to have discussion about what to do with vinyl. But I think that what I was getting to is a lot of what people put into music, whether they took their own money or they scraped up some change or they stole shit to pay somebody or they figured out some nefarious way to record or maybe they just knew someone local and had a trade and they could record something and they figured out another way to get some money together and they put some record out. And the smart bands were smart enough to take that record and that sale and not blow it, not buy you know drugs and pints of beer. Yeah, pints were the thing back then. But to reinvest it in the band, the best of bands do that. And the best of bands did do that. And there's always like a guy in a band. Not every band, but there's always every couple bands or someone that can take a nickel, turn it into $5 bill. That $5 bill becomes 200 And few times ever do those people in the bands can stay in one band because their brain is just rolling like Scrooge McDuck on how to make the next $5. But it's that kind of industry that really did push hardcore. You know, and if you take that same thing and you talk about zines, the cost of zines, the cost of printing. And I think about now with the digital enterprise, it's cheaper to spend the time, create a master copy, scan it and send it in the internet overseas and just wait a month or two than laboriously hand printing and then try to staple yourself or going to a local print shop if there isn't even isn't local print shop and getting this shit done. And I, and I, I wonder in this conversation out loud to you, if you're thinking, why the fuck does it care? Or do people even really care? And that's the thought that I had go into this discussion about the labor of love and the, the push in hardcore, the work, if the work in its final form, you know, we've, I've talked about art for like flyers, you know, the best of flyers for me, we used to wait and see it in the record store. And there was almost a respect of not wanting to take it off the wall because you knew, A, you knew some of the people who worked there. So you knew they'd be like, yo, don't take the fucking flyer. Cause you know, that's valuable space. You're holding that little corner down till the show happened. And sometimes they would take them off and put the new one up. Sometimes people would swipe them. But sometimes just swiping a flyer from the local record store was like its own kind of like collection moment. Like, haha, I got this fucking flyer. But a lot of what the stuff that, you know, what I'm talking about, you know, a labor, the labor, the time, the emotional, the creative put into something, a lot of the times the way to receive it is to pay for it. Where the flyer, the little doodle, in the record, 
that's the extra. That's a promotion. That's a continuation of a concept or a collective idea. Or maybe it's like a fuck those ideas and counter to them. That's the sickest thing about the old style shit. It's just when you think everything's right in the world, someone draws or does something that just says, fuck all of this. And everyone has to stand there and go, you know what, that's cool too. Yeah, fuck us. What do we know? And I've read a lot of zines and looked at a lot of art and punk. And I'm really never surprised when I see someone that just like, oh, you guys are over here doing this? Well, fuck you. Here's this. You know, and you can take it to the most edgy. You can take it to the most political. But I've always supported someone who spits in the face of everybody else for the sake of art, for the sake of fuck you or whatever the reason is. But a lot of the labors, not only in modernity, but in the past, people work hard, put time, put money, put sweat, put thought, put love, put art into something for it to be pennies on the dollar sold, ultimately. In the modern era, there are so many different ways to have access and exposure. Like I said last week, Ernie Tauber gave us that. To produce at a higher volume, higher quality, greater output of items to be sold at rapid speed across the world within a click of a button. And it's just fantastic. In the sense of seeing the machine grow that fast. To be the kid, pre-high school, limited funds... No work, you know, might get a couple bucks here and there, go buy a tape unless there was that stupid fucking label on it. Then you get my cousin to get it for me. Or maybe one of my older friends to buy it for me. Until that BMG and that fucking CD gimmick came out. Um, Whatever house, can't even fit the name now. Get the tapes first, then they went to the CDs, Columbia House and BMG. And that's where you got all the records and all the cool shit came from stealing. Never stole from a record store because they'd fuck you up. Never had the balls to steal from a South Street record store. Never wanted to steal from any of the smaller stores in the Northeast because there wasn't that many. But the reality is, is that people endlessly work towards some form of commercial product. Is where I was getting at. And I don't disqualify that as a labor of love. And I think I'm not with the right terminology or I'm not equipped to break it down. I don't have the full scholastic background. So I could just say that just because someone has a price tag on it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value. As, a, as art or as love or that, you know, because it's for sale, it doesn't mean it's something that is just for free. You know, I see tons of shitty graffiti flyers. Then I walk around, I see tons of shitty graffiti in Philadelphia. And no one will say that there's a labor's of love. In fact, I think the worst thing about the current speed of creations is there is... I imagine it's the same way always, but because of the scope of how I look at things retroactively is only through the lens of either books, websites, or old flyers that I've seen a 
great deal of variety. I don't see as much variety when it comes to the art flyers now. And I used to make fun of the real off-putting avant-garde flyers, but I even kind of welcome that over some dumb bubble letter half-legible bullshit these days. And why I was bringing up the whole concept of just because you're selling it doesn't it doesn't devalue is because the thing about work and the thing about what we put into it's emotional output yeah so like the point of like I think like for me I Bob comes to me a year ago almost maybe more hey uh draw this flyer up then I start drawing flyers and I've had a bad luck of drawing some flyers. <laughs> Drew this awesome Madball flyer show didn't happen. Drew this awesome Scow flyer didn't happen. Started getting uh, discouraged, which is a silly thing to say at 42, but it's the truth. You know, you want that flyer that you make and draw to last. I saw that show. Well, you never saw that show. So does the flyer count? Does the art count? I've tried to, you know retrofit it to something else it doesn't it's like it's like that one shot you can take the idea you could probably steal somewhere down the line and incorporate it and i love those artists that bring back motifs i think motifs in itself is a great conversation i'm eventually going to have jeremy dean from philadelphia on here who's an amazing graphic artist and i really like to talk to him about motif better because he's way more versed and be able to have that conversation than i can especially not in a kind of like dialogue like this. But for all intents and purposes, celebrating Labor Day, to understand hardcore is to have to respect time, sweat, and the and the time that people put in things. Even the dumbest fucking thing people put time into. If you really think about it. And it's like You can fail at a fucking almost beautiful level. Some amazing things put together have just had an unfortunate level of like lightning bolt level calamity. Like I had mentioned a couple um, episodes ago in the failure of Fest, who the fuck would have thought there'd be a giant East Coast blackout that would bring financial woes to a 2003 furnace fest you know that's like a fucking you know which is like I, without making a bad joke about god when it comes to furnace fest but like it's literally god being like hey fuck you in your fest and that's what i'm saying like there's just times when people have put out like i mean you draw a cool flyer oh snow happens now the show didn't happen so all not not only just the the aesthetic value of drawing the flyer and getting excited for people to go, well, that's a cool flyer. There is the whole show that just didn't happen. We're still waiting for some kind of uh, rescheduling for Mayball on that. And I've given some refunds and I'll still give refunds when asked. But it's one of these things that, like, the sh- I think for me, the labor of love intensely focuses in on not being handed three bands and being told get a local but being like hey this band's available this day we trust you go ahead do your thing 
It's like, all right, motherfucker, you really want you really want me to put that thing down? We'll make something happen. You know, um, I have a quarter of a Youth of the Day flyer drawn. Been so distracted, my arm hurts from work. But I'm hoping to see this thing get the light of day. And my brother, Mike Barletti, Mike Hooligan, Hard Times Tattoo, is drawing some posters available for actual fiscal um, exchange. He provides you with this cool poster for your wall. You provide him with some dollars. That's the way it works. And that, and that in itself, I mean, when he drew, he drew this flyer for me for my 20 years of show. So he's doing me a 25 years of. God willing, we're both alive. We'll be celebrating 30 years at some point. And I still look at this flyer he did. It's a big poster. It was a one-off. And uh, we never had it printed into any kind of um, circulation. I might put it. I might take a picture and just put it in the notes. But it's this beautiful thing with like the fucking floor punch, gorilla biscuits, strife, integrity skull, burn, just fucking cool logos, man. And he did that out of love. Do something cool, inked it. It's fucking beautiful. It's framed on my wall. Every time I go up and down my steps, I see it every morning, every night before I go to bed. I look at it. It's so fucking cool, and it's a one on one. And the time he put into that. He, he'll never get back and the world hasn't seen it enough and that's a great example of like a labor of love I don't know anybody who loves Gorilla Biscuits and you today more than Mike you know I don't know anybody who truly loves fast hardcore as much as Mike is a fucking fanatic has been for so long and he gets to put his touch aesthetically and graphically these are the kind of things that I talk about but, I mean, it goes way beyond. It, you know, it's not just art. It's not just the music end of things, the output. Um, and that it takes a village mindset. What we're doing here at Philly Hardcore Shows is we are bringing the people who will be the next generation into a place where they understand the labor side of the show end of it. Be it, hey, go up, as Ben said, go upstairs and pick up the trash. To Alex Bradley learning not just about the getting a room and getting some bands and understanding the show expense sheet, but now she's working in the capacity of with the business and the emails and Bob, you know, watching Bob go from being the kid who can get a hall and get a, his friend to bring a PA, pay his friend's bands and have enough to buy some diet, uh, Dr. Pepper to be in one of the most successful hardcore promoters in the last 20 years with a fucking insane success story of his festival and still being able to kind of show him some little things here and there and have him jumping in and being a bigger piece of the stuff that I get involved in. It's a way to pass on what things happen and how things happen and how and how we work it into the system that is this like way sometimes complain about and sometimes I laud and say it's a great idea is this like crazy bureaucracy of gears and people that spin that make these tours happen with these booking agents and assistants and contracts and all these end of things. It's important that the next generation, not just the Bob and the Alex's, but the Ben Stuckies and the people that are gonna start following Ben Stuckey that they're up to date, that they have the technology. Because 
sometimes in these kind of labors that we put on in hardcore, not knowing the next step, not having a mentor, not being present of mind to say, hey, maybe I should ask them, but you're being afraid to. Hey, I don't really want to bother you, but and I tell you all the time, the question that you're going to get answered almost immediately is a booking question. I'll answer that night and day. And I'm always available on DM or whatever. Yeah, sliding them DMs. I don't know why I even fucking said that, but it's funny. But go ahead and learn. Learn what you don't know. Ask when you have a question. If you think that something you're doing might not be right, have it checked. You know, look into it, as Eddie Bradova would say. You know, look into it. There's there's people who have done this before you. Sometimes their ways are not as efficient in the internet age, but they're more sound, you know, in the digital. You know, it, it, it comes out a little quicker, but in the long form, you get to work out a, a multitude of problems. And I think that our job for anybody who is, I won't say a senior or whatever, anyone who has a decent grip of what to do, I do feel like the labor and the time that you've put in and the amount of emotional value in return you've gotten from this work, you're almost at a duty to repay or pay into a system so that what you do and why you do or how you do in your system doesn't die with you. And it's something that sticks with me as we close in on the 25th year of me booking shows. As I had a podcast where I talked about a little bit about booking shows for 25 years. And I now have this awesome Youth of Today show at the church commemorating 25 years of booking shows. What I learned from... Tim Boer, what I learned from Sean Agnew, what I learned from Andy Rice, what I learned from Red Cheeks, what I learned from Kevin Castle, what I stole in flyers and the way these things looked from all sorts of fucking people. You know, I'm the watchful student always. I never want to be the master and the mentor. I'd rather be the student. You know, I'm still sitting there looking at some of the shit that Tyler King put on in the late 90s in New York and just like, fuck you. What an amazing show. And it's like a, a work of art. It goes back to that scene I said in American Psycho where you see the postcard. Or not the postcard, what do they call that? Business card, rather. It's like you look at this Tyler King flyer and it's like all these fucking bands and you're like, you beautiful son of a bitch, how'd you pull that off? And I, and yeah, there are people who are fiscally successful who have not only just a means to get by, but are living well because of their time in the hardcore. There's always a villainization of people who profit beyond just a bare, meager means. And I think there's enough checks and balances in the system that our society and the underground have created where so few people can really become by modern standards rich that it's almost a silly point to make. And most of the people who have found living and living well have not made it 
primarily on the sweat equity and love from the hardcore scene. I think they may start out and they definitely cut their teeth and it's like, you know, their starting time might have been like late sixth grade and then by the time they graduate through hardcore high school into college, they've moved on to some rock, some emo, some pop, some metal. And that's where the big bucks come in because it's just such at a giant level. You know, it's going to take you a very long time to get rich off booking shows where only 150 people show up. Even if you own the fucking bar, even if you're in the backyard making the fucking moonshine and selling at the bar, you're still not going to be rich. But you start getting into these numbers where it's like, oh, I'm booking shows where my band is regularly playing in front of three to 5,000 persons. The money's going to start coming in. And I think hardcore has always had this bizarre way of saying, hey, come to the show, it's five bucks. Buy the t-shirts at 10 bucks. Buy the record that's five bucks. But by the way, fuck you if you've made any money from this. <laughs> you know, there's like a weird barrier where some people cannot live with any kind of real financial reward from the sweat equity and labor that goes into the things. And I think that's silly. And a great example to me is looking at my friend who just two years ago was the first guest we ever had on this podcast, Chris Wren, who in, we're going to get him on the show. He's actually, I should mention since I brought his ass up, he is celebrating the grand opening of the joint compound store between Sully's Brands and Bridge Nine Records, where this motherfucker, you know, uh, <laughs> we took a, and I, I wanted to save some of this for this episode, and I still will. But it's important to note since it ties in and it's a nice little promo. The grand opening of from September 10th at 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. is the grand opening of the flagship Bridge Nine Records and Sully Brands store at 282 Rantall Street in Beverly. It's two address, it's one address, two stores. This is a former 1930s era car dealership. Known recently as the Beverly Glass Building has been painstakingly renovated for the past 18 months by owner Chris Wren and carpenter Larry Kelly and a slew of local volunteers. It's now ready to welcome music and sports fans into Transform Space. We will have new vinyl and apparel available, so come visit us. Click the link in the bio to read more about getting here and other places to check out while you're in the Beverly Salem area. Now, this is truly... Truly, 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 truly what someone does. And and we're going to talk on his. He'll speak on why he did what he did. He's got a giant brand called Sully's Brand. Famous actors like Ben Affleck wear these shirts and they get on the internet. He's, you know, regularly on the news. It's a big deal in Boston. And he's still, Bridge Nine is still, you know, synonymous with some of the best hardcore records that have come out in the in the entire history of hardcore. And one of the few labels that as they got bigger and bigger went back into the archives and released some old ones and still has a real touch and tie with the old school. He takes a building and inch by inch he renovates it and creates two stores for both his loves. That's fantastic. It's a great example of a labor of love. And I mean, I have friends who 
they'll build all this crazy shit. Like we used to build lofts in our friends' vans just to help them on the tour. I know I built like four fucking lofts in vans. It was a lot of sweat and a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, you know, motherfucker fingers hurt, you know, bloody fingers from just fixing shit or rigging things up to make it work. And I mean, I, this whole thing was about labor. And I think if you were waiting for me to start talking about all the guys who swing hammers, all the guys who tie rebar, all the guys who are, you know, concrete guys and, you know, all these things, it's, it's, it goes beyond that. It's, it's easy to say that hardcore has always been part of a working class group of folks, but really it, that's already well known and documented. And I think some of the things that get lost is that simple things, it, simple, 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 simple shit here. We can we can really get into when we talk about the labor of things. Now, this is a quote from the Wealth of Nations, Book One, Chapter Five, which kind of delves into a whole weird, nearly, I would say, an argument on the definitions of labor. Where. I'll just read it. The real price of everything, what everything really costs to the man who wants to acquire it, is the toil and troubling of acquiring it. Whatever, when everything is really worth to the man who has acquired it and who wants to dispose of it or exchange it for something else, is the toil and trouble which can save it, which it can save to himself. And which can impose upon other people. So instead of saying that, you know, something is only worth the price of the labor put into it, that it says it, the, the commodity, whether it's a record, a t-shirt, a show, is what someone's worth buying for or what someone's worth going to it. You know, like, you'll see some people like, I ain't going to that show, it's $25. Where someone else who doesn't get shows like that, like, $25, I'll buy a fucking flight for 550 get a hotel for 150 and put that 25 down, because I don't get shows like that. That was my example. But I find, and, and having little by little spent more time reading into not just the Lenin Marxism idea and the classic economics ideas of labor theory, that... When it comes to hardcore, economic value of a good or a service is really determined first in part by the people who are going to acquire is essentially what I get. Like, you know, if I want to do a show and it's $45, the people that do the work to have that dollars in their pocket to buy it, they're going to decide if that's worth exchanging that dollar in their pocket for it. You know, the people ultimately decide, and that's why you see shows that are sometimes overpriced be undersold because the hardest thing about doing a show is trying to understand where the real market value at the time and I mean, I could probably get a fucking real like world-class economics expert to get on here and create its own stock market value from any hardcore band at any given time because you can book a band in March and they could be hot, hot, hot 
in some areas and you could be the area no one gives a fuck about them, you're paying high market value because of the demand in other places and your show could undersell and you're out money. And you can also have the opposite where you have a giant outpouring of new people who are just excited to go to anything and you could put a 20, 25 hour ticket on almost any show and 150 new people are coming. And that's when it goes back to that line that I said earlier. You know, it, it really does count to what it really costs the man who wants to acquire it and what the toil and trouble of acquiring it is. And then that's really what that's really what value is in, in this world of things. Like if you wanna if you want a chunk king, you can spend two thousand if you have disposable in your income two thousand. If you want to see a show in another part of the country, especially when they like first announce these reunions, people will spend a thousand on flights, four hundred on hotels, hundred and fifty on a riot fest ticket. And I love the rope a dope. Every September it happens, or whatever they announce it. Maybe they announce them in March or April. The person like, I've got to go there. And then what happens? They spend the the money. They fly out. And then the motherfuckers do a U.S. tour anyway. Come on. You didn't see that coming yet? Come on. Every time there's an announcement, someone's like, hey, you guys going to the show? And I'm a spoiled brat. I'm like, I'll just try to book them sometime. Because, you know, I don't have too many flights in me to go see another band. I don't have the time. I don't have, I don't want to trade the uh, the value of what I work with my hands to fly out when eventually the band will probably play Philadelphia at some point. And I and I know money in a weird way is always involved in labor, but that's I would say that it's impossible to talk about the labor without talking about the end result. I think that that's a huge thing that comes into play is you can be in a band, love the music, but that gas tank is still got to get paid in gas, petrodollars, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, the Bitcoin. You know, unless you're one of them saucy types that know how to run a green van and can get all that fucking ga- uh, grease, like in Fight Club, this motherfucker costs money to get to. So, you know, if you're a 16 to 22 year old kid, it's all love. You start hitting that 23 to 28, I start doing something, you know? Hit that 30s, unless you're in a successful band, you know, you got to start deciding like what do you want to do do you want to try to tour for 10 more months a year or do you want to keep it to the weekend warrior and start making something because there are people who can really live on a very meager lifestyle and love every fucking aspect of everything that they do and those people are blessed and they're not getting crapped on here but there's a ton of people that publicly talk about everything that they do musically out of pure love and happiness and just, you know, the benefit of society by them playing. Like, they're like fucking Wild Stallions and fucking uh, Bill and Ted's 2 or some bullshit. When really it's a gimmick and they're just trying to um, get to a crowd by just being like, we're just so humble. I love the art. And it's never been about money for us. Meanwhile, they got the manager, they got the booking agent, they got the six merch stores. It's a crazy thing. 
Let's be honest. But I, f- I find that hardcore taught me that when you do something, you're in for a penny or in for a pound. You know, you do it. You do it because you're doing it. You're doing this because you love it. Even the shit that failed, I did because I loved. With And I'll take some form of retro ownership and future ownership that there's going to be stuff that I fail at because I either got ADHD sidetracked in some fucking far off corner of a task that has nothing to do with the outcome or like we said with that, you know, proverbial hardcore stock market idea, you know, I bought when the stock was high <laughs> and the show happened when the stock went low. And the people are like, ah, you know what? I ain't going to that show. And especially where we live, you can book the best goddamn show on earth. And Mother Nature's going to show up and say, hey, I got to vote too. We've had wild shows stop because of ice and snow and had to move them. We've had some shows moved purely out of because of the fucking the weather. We've had to stop doing shows at the church because there's no air conditioning during the real crazy summer months. And we make it work. But... No damn straight, I ain't giving out no crazy guarantee. Second week of fucking January, right after everybody in Philadelphia is getting back from the castle at FYA. It's the worst time to come up into Philadelphia. You should fucking know that by now. Same same gimmick around Thanksgiving. Like we used to do a Black Friday show. Sometimes that's a good weekend. But then so, every once in a while someone's like, I just like hardcore people go through this thing where they're like, I'm I wanna be around my family or like I I got my own thing. We've done some good shows. Pre-Christmas, we do one every year at the Keystone Jam, which one's going to be December 17th in Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, for a long time, I did it December 3rd. And then the Triple B people came in with that gimmick. And then counter to that, um, every year Incendiary does a um, benefit concert at AMH just for their people, you know. That's become a hot ticket. Nate and the SOS people do Toy Drive in the mid-Decembers. So you gotta like, you gotta know your market. You gotta know when the value's high. Otherwise, that labor of love is strictly a labor of love, and the out, the outcome isn't what you would hope for. And then that that, that brings, as I've been prattling on for a while, the question is: Do you still love it if it fails? There's a moment of embarrassment, right? You put time, thought, care. Blood, sweat, but then the tears come because the the value wasn't reciprocated in the eyes of the public, and people didn't show support, or maybe you just missed the mark. I think sometimes some of the coolest shit never happened because the people were all looking around waiting for everyone else to go. Is this cool? Think this is cool enough for us to be thinking this is cool? And in a world market where everyone has the kind of resources to support everything, everyone would be supported. But we don't live in that kind of world. We live in a world where not every record's going to sell 5,000 copies. Not every band gets on stage and kills it. I don't care what the fucking internet says. Some people play music to have empty rooms. And then 20 years later, some dickhead on YouTube writes about them like they were the greatest thing that ever happened. Other people 
play god awful regurgitated pop bullshit and they get lauded get sucked off front to back for fucking six to eight months then they get signed to the big leagues and people move on it's weird there's no there's no rhyme or reason but I, I think in capping this long discussion on the love and labor is you have to go into everything because you want to see it happen you know you gotta want to see it happen good bad fail you know it's not obviously there isn't a person out there who's like hey I can't wait to expend all this emotional equity and time and you know my own money and you know my own mental stability just to watch it all fall and burn no one does I mean you know even Gigi Allen at his fucking psycho level you know he he didn't want to be a failure so he like moved the bar of what success is maybe success at a Gigi Allen show is him landing a, like a fully hocked piece of shit in someone's forehead the fuck knows what that maniac but what I'm getting at is is nobody does anything to fail but some people are prepared to fail to do the things they love and I think if you want to succeed you have to accept failure first instead of chasing love the best things are the things that you do for yourself because you want to do it. Or you believe in the things that you want to do. But when you put your heart and your love into something you really want to do, there's always this retroactive, well, fuck everybody because no one cared about what I did. You should have got to co-sign on to that. I can't tell you how many years we were putting these bands like E-Town Concrete, God forbid, all these fucking bands in Philadelphia. 98, 99, and the hardcore scene in Philly, there was like this bizarre, I was the bizarro world, they called it Joe Hardcore Hardcore. Well, guess what, bitch? 20 fucking years later, who the fuck is talking about some of these goofball-ass fucking fourth-rate chain of strength rip-off motherfucking bands that you guys were dick-sucking every weekend? No one. But that E-Town Concrete is still running strong. That Fury of Five fucking killed it at the fest. Where's your broke-ass fucking third-rate fucking bullshit? Tired of that shit. I knew it was played out. I love some of them bands. Ranker had some fucking shit. 97A would kill it sometimes. Four Punch of the Gods. But really, the fifth or sixth version of that? No, suck my dick. But to them, we're out here being corny at G&Eerie. Doing shit. And, 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 but I did it because I gave a fuck at 18 years old. It's a weird time, sleeping on couches, smoking angel dust. Matt Gallagher's mom wouldn't let me sleep at the house sometimes. George's Hearst's mom wouldn't let me sleep at the house. So we'd sleep under the fucking slide in Junietta Playground. I would get up and run a show at G and Erie. Shit was weird, but I did this shit because I loved it. I had nothing else, and it was a fucking escape. So I see these people, and I, I try to be less skeptical. I try to be less bitter, I try to be less angry, and they do these contrived half-ass pieces of work on some doodle board on the the fucking, what do you call it, the iPad, and and they want the fucking thing in the Louvre, or they'll be like, hey, I'll draw you this flyer, and it's like a fucking carbon copy of some ass bullshit I seen on Instagram t- two months ago by some other dickhead, you know, 
It's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre world. But again, it goes back to what I said about the the relative to what somebody's willing to pay for what someone's willing to do. If there's a market price to it, people are going to pay it. But the, the labor in it, it's not just lifting shit over your head or you know, going to the bathroom and sticking your fucking hand in a fucking sink where the throw up is in there because some fucking jerk off threw up in the fucking sink instead of the toilet. It's the little things. <laughs> it's the fucking little things. It's everything. It's not, labor is not when you're sweating. Labor is not when you work so hard. It's the time, your physical time. You fucking put nothing, if none of your time into something, you're never going to get good at it. If you don't put enough time into it, you're never going to care about it. You never put enough of your emotional energy into something, you're not going to be connected to it. I see that all the time. I see that in people that rush to try to get to great results. And yet, in 93 episodes, probably 85 of them, Nah, probably I've done probably seven, and maybe I maybe did about ten self-talking ones now. So we'll go with eighty-three episodes. You're gonna see, if you go and listen to this whole fucking thing, you're gonna hear about people fail. You're gonna hear about people who fucking bust their ass and weren't fucking successful. And you're gonna listen to fucking people that specifically did this shit because they wanted to do it, and they didn't care what fucking anyone had to say because they just had this thing in their fucking head. And I don't see enough of that. I see people looking out down the street and going, I love to look at this hardcore stock market. Oh, what's what's popular? That's what's hitting high now. Let's do that right now. Instead of following their heart. And that's a huge part of this fucking it's gotta be heart. It's a weird thing. The best of things have all these ingredients. And sometimes the things that are rated the highest have none of these things. Sometimes people can fucking be so inauthentic in their inner core and just exude only this crazy fucking cocoon that people just buy up is like this person's this or you know this guy's so crazy or this guy's such a he's such a neurotic weirdo he's so awesome and then it's like no he's just a bitch just some fucking crybaby weirdo who eventually will gaslight you <laughs> I'm on a fucking tangent I can fucking feel it I'm getting all ramped up now Zach by the way Zach called me Glizzy Joe Zach is a goon. He doesn't even use a hammer. I hope he's listening to this. I fucking love him. And (laughs) I love all my bros who legitimately still continue to create when they still have to make a living. A lot of the people that write this podcast talk about how they can't do the things they used to do because they're a father. Or they've got a business and they've gotten attached. And I'm telling you that you can always do something. And that's like the bizarre part in the beginning and in the middle we talk about the value. You know, um, the thought of patronage comes to mind. You know, um, in the long period before the internet, there were patronage found from the support of kings and popes if you were wealthy or you were trying to have status in your society, you would take your money and you would put it behind some artist. Maybe they would build a statue of some saint, give it to some church. You know, these famous Ninja Turtles that end up somehow also being crazy Renaissance artists. 
actually were completely financed by these kind of rich people in that society and they would give their money today it's known as patreon which is something i failed at doing i'm so kind of so glad that i uh didn't stick with it because of the rate of some of these episodes coming out the few people that donated feel like they weren't getting their money's worth for their patronage but for someone who is older, someone who is disconnected, someone who has a full-ass fucking life, they've got kids, they've got bills, they've got double time, they're only working overnights, they can't go to a show, the way that you can still be a part of this society, besides being someone who clicks on Spotify, you can buy a fucking t-shirt, buy a fucking record, you know, look at a hate five six thing, you know, there's a thousand ways with the internet now that you can still patronize and help out hardcore, and it, it puts you in that witter wheel, of the labor of love. This person is building. This person is doing new stuff. This person has their ass fucking to the grindstone. Just trying to make shit happen. And here you are. You've got the means to buy something. But you don't have the time to put in to go to the show. I have so many friends who tell me records they bought. But they haven't been to a show in a year or two. Hoodies that they buy. They can't wait for this new record to come out. They can't. They love this new band. Hey I bought this old record I didn't get. Or I sold this record. There's a thousand ways that you... The person listening that may have written me at one time, I wish I could do more. Just being present, just being acknowledging that these bands follow them on the internet. You know, that that dumb little number, click their fucking button on the Spotify. Everyone goes, oh man, look at the monthly listeners these guys have. I can't believe that's a fucking metric that gets bands on tours. I guarantee you there's some fucking weird ass fucking listener mill that's getting paid and fucking pennies to get some of these dick dickhead bands that don't draw on these tours, but it's a fucking metric. There's little things like clicking the buttons that are free. There's things like we just talked about in the beginning of this episode with the Kevin and the Bulldoze and the GoFundMe. Our friend Dan Longo, he's going to have a benefit show. He had a GoFundMe. These are the little things that a culture where you can't produce your own stuff or you don't have the time to really in person be a part, you can still support. In hardcore... There is a ton of hardworking people, and, and I and I barely touch the fucking surface of this. But it, ultimately, I will say that if nothing, that this culture doesn't exist without love and hard work and the combination of the two, and in memory and support and of all of this shit. I think the thing to remember is that you don't have to like someone else's art. You do not have to buy someone's art. And you don't have to completely respect someone's art. But the fact that it exists means someone did something to it. They put money into it. They put time into it. Some people put thought into it. Some people put love. Some people put a combination. All the stuff. But it all ends up as the same kind of end product. Be it tape. Guitar pick. T-shirt. When's these bands going to do some weird ass drug rugs? I'm surprised... That fucking Angel Dust hasn't done a fucking drug rug already. That'll be the next shit. Drug rugs, serapes, all that fucking goofy shit. I'm waiting for see what next. But there's just shit that people put into and the outcome you can support or not support. But there's no denying someone put effort into it. Even if this the acknowledgement enough of wanting to create it in and itself effort and again 
Just because someone buys it doesn't mean it's good. Just because someone likes it doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. But this whole thing works in a wheel. A slow river, fast-churning river, and this wheel spins. And that little fucking mill grinding inside just keeps turning. And it's just your job to make sure that the water never stops and that wheel never stops. And that, and that's why I still do this thing. I like talking to this microphone. I wish I was talking to someone and talking about their lives instead of just going on tangents and talking shit about Zach Barone not using a hammer at work. But it is what the fuck it is. If you wanted an episode talking about who's a firefighter and who pours concrete and who's a, who ties uh, steel and who is a piano fixer, I, don't know, is it, I hope that they have a cooler name than piano fixer, by the way. So, but I don't want to get off on a tangent on that. But the reality is, is everything that around us is created by someone and they had either fiscal reward or just love or whatever combination. And it's important to acknowledge that, especially with Labor Day and everyone talking about the eight hour day and all this cool, amazing shit that our unions fought for in hardcore. We have our own labor. And I think that sometimes people in hardcore, they get ignorant of it or they take it for granted. Now, I think that it becomes something that gets lost on the new age. And for years, Greg Daly, Jeff Ziga from R5 Productions and This Is Hardcore used to leave this quote Posted on every side of the old and the current This Is Hardcore stage. And I want to read this to you. Listen to the stage manager and get on the stage when they tell you to. No one has time for the rock star bullshit. None of the techs backstage care if you're David Bowie or the Milkman. When you act like a jerk, you're completely unimpressed or they're completely unimpressed with the infantile display that you may think comes with your dubious status. They were here. For hours before you were building the stage, and they will be here hours after you leave tearing it down. They should get your salary, and you should get theirs. And as someone who loves putting on shows at the church, the thing I hate the most is when a band is sweaty, standing on the edge of the gear that we have to break down, meticulously wrap up, and put away before we can start sleeping. And I keep saying, hey, we got to get in here. I know, you know, just a couple minutes. It's like, you did your job. You perform greatly and you're speaking, but you don't need to speak over this cabinet that has to come off this fucking stage so this kid who's doing this out of love and not getting paid can sweep the fuck up. And it's a great example. You know, um, there's a lot of people that miss the part that the people who aren't on stage, the people who aren't popular right now, the people are just taking money at the door, just stamping hands, just sweeping up a floor, just drawing a flyer. The people who do not have the blue check, the people who don't have the million followers, they're the fucking they're the fucking paddles on that fucking mortar wheel. They're the ones that spin this motherfucker. They keep the fucking water flowing, that wheel fucking spinning, that grinding mist, that grinder in the fucking center, just making shit fucking happen in that mill. That's what they are. The fucking hate to say it is is the 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 art the music that's the water that hits that mill 
Those fucking those little paddles aren't on there. That shit don't spin. And water just keeps rolling right through and nothing gets churned the fuck out. It's a symbiotic relationship. The things that we love are created by people who do create, think, love, or just want money out of it. And the people that make this shit happen sweat, cry, fall, get hurt. They don't eat for fucking five hours. Or they gotta stay two hours late. Or they gotta clean up fucking piss. They gotta clean up fucking shitty bottles of beer. They gotta go outside and break up fucking fights for pennies on the dollar and and you know hope they don't get fucking stabbed in the street so many little things that happen that are all laborious and they all work in sync and so everything that you touch everything that you love everything that you ever thought about that was cool and hardcore somebody labored over somebody loved somebody thought about and somebody put action to do so it's all worthy of some form of acknowledgement but you don't have to fawn over it and suck the person's ass and dick for it. That's all I got for you. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, TIHC Podcast will give you the link specifically to the blood cut stuff that we just posted. It will also give you the link to the GoFundMe for Kev1 Bulldoze and his family. Thank you once again for supporting. And if you are in the Boston area, please stop by the new store that Chris ran meticulously and arduously and painstakingly went ahead and built. It's a fucking work of love. God bless them. Hope you guys had a good holiday. And I'll talk to you next week. PhillyHCShows.com. Bye-bye.